I gotta I gotta check my disk space again. Roz, I yeah, what's money actually? I mm. I I have so many hard drives for you, and you just <laughs> no, just torture you know, it. You know you know what happened is I. I got the new update for City Skylines 2 and it oh, annihilated okay. my primary drive. Okay. Well, um, I, I actually yeah. do retract my statement. You're still a foolish boy, but I, That's you true. know. All right. I got enough space. You got it. Yeah. You got it. I, I have I have space for 288 hours of recording. So okay, if we good. get to, so half to like 280, <laughs> yeah, if we get to the 280 mark, just sort of like give me a little like signal and I'll oh, kind of wind then it up. Then we would yeah. have killed Seamus again. <laughs> I'm already. All right. Well, in that case, right. we seem to all be here. Yes. Um, everything is going. Um, let's do a podcast. Uh, mm. hello and welcome to Well, there's your problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I'm Alice Caldwell Kelly. I'm the person who's talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Yay, Liam. Yay, Liam. Hi, sorry, I cut you off a little there. Uh, hi, I'm Liam Anderson. My pronouns are he and him. And we have a guest. We have a guest. Hi, I'm Seamus Malagafzeli, and my pronouns are for he and him. Uh, astonishingly, Seamus is back after we tortured him on the last, yes. uh, last time <laughs> he was here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Look, Stockholm Syndrome, I think, is a beautiful, observable mental phenomenon. <laughs> I would love to support future studies on this in the future we didn't even give you stockholm syndrome we gave you like neon syndrome which is like stockholm syndrome but what line <laughs> the line oh uh, i think when i close my eyes i see the line <laughs> I, I specifically and this is something that's been put on the back burner for now but i specifically went to venice the beautiful, gorgeous city of Venice, specifically mm. to see the Neom exhibition. Venice was secondary. <laughs> this is what it still <laughs> has its yeah. hold on me. Yeah. You went yeah. to the like the BNL they had for it, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god. Wait, did they have a BNL specifically for Neom? They had something. It was some kind of like architectural fest, Neom fest. You know, <laughs> it was an it was an art it was an exhibition of like. Um, I mean, I, t I, I talked to Ross specifically about this. Like, they had a bunch of different architectural, uh, like, um, mock-ups of parts of Neom, parts of the line, and they all told the public, like, hey, go and see what they're building in Saudi Arabia. Um, there were lots of people there, which kind of shocked me. Mm. Everyone wants to go see some conceptual architecture. Who does fake. not want to see yeah. the line? Yeah, yeah, who doesn't want the, to see what the sort of like AI recombinated Zaha Hadid is doing right now? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's what's going to happen. Is they're going to they're going to reanimate Zaha Hadid? I mean, with that AI woman is basically and, a force ghost already. Like, I was about to say, ghost. yeah, the that's things like, they've done to her name. That's that's what still all the buildings look like. All the new buildings yeah. still look like are the architecturally significant new buildings. They all just look like Zaha Hadid. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> if you were going to be like, you know, what's the you know twenty first century going to look like? Uh, at least at the start, you know, we've we've settled on an art style for the moment, an architecture style. The 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 firm still has her name on it, even though she's dead. That's like not normal for architecture. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's it's like when they're, they're finding like B sides and rarities and like unreleased material. Oh, it's released in mono. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you guys like wacky wacky service materials and also glass in places that shouldn't be glass? <laughs> yeah, sure there's a deed bootleg. There's a giant <laughs> shard of glass that just like perfectly comes down through the center of my kitchen. <laughs> Every morning, I like slice an artery on it by accident. Yeah. Uh, so what you see on the screen here 
is a large crater and the remains of a concrete grain elevator and the city of Beirut. Mm, and a lot of grain. Yes, and a lot of grain on the ground. It's not supposed to look like that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's actually supposed to be a warehouse here. Mm. Beirut's supposed to be a lot more glazed. And yes. that straight line of the port you can see, that's supposed to like extend all the way down instead of there's a giant crater in it. Oh. Yes. Uh, so today, today we're going to talk about the 2020 Beirut port explosion. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I was waiting for... Jesus. I was waiting for a response there. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't. I, there isn't really like kind of like a joke I can make. It's just kind of like uh, <laughs> no. this is just this is just uh, it's just kind of tragic horrible. and sad. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's, you know, put put this on the little playlist with Bo Paul as like the sad and angry episodes. Well, at the very least, there won't be a jarring shift in tone when we do the goddamn news. So this is a fascinating bit here because I'm recording remotely from a hotel room. I don't have the drops. So we have two options here and I leave them at Devin's discretion. Or yeah. We just yeah, just news related noises. Yeah. All right. Jesus. So we are we are barely a thousand today, huh? Yeah. 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 High energy, you know. So someone blew up a hospital in Gaza. Yeah, although yeah. on Twitter, people are currently arguing about every single aspect of this, including whether there was a hospital blown up, whether there was a hospital there in the first place, yeah. is Gaza real, uh, yeah. are any of us even alive? What is truth? You what know? is truth? What is truth? Um, um, sort of triumph for subjectivity. There seems to be... Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, Ross, keep going. I was just going to say, now, since uh, since we release these episodes, usually about a week after we record them, all of our takes will age like milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we perfectly <laughs> set this up to be exactly <laughs> and publicly wrong about anything that happens. It's so smart of us. Yes. Man. If, if I can attempt to strike some sort of balance in Please. which the show will be able to age at least somewhat well. Um. At the moment, I would say that I should climb down from my um, assertion, at least yesterday, that this was an airstrike. Um, I've been seeing theories that make more sense that this was either a drone strike of some kind or uh, an air defense, any air defense uh, system in Israel that went haywire. Um, mm. It would make more sense considering the video that we have of it, which shows a missile like speeding toward the hospital courtyard. And Whatever it, it is, it came in hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that makes a bit more sense to me. Also, considering the crater that I think is in there, which is obscured by this angle, but is more clear uh, somewhere like around here. Yeah, it's not a it's yeah. not a yeah, big crater. A lot, of, a lot of people are saying that it just doesn't exist. That it's just no, like no. you know, if actually five hundred people or whatever didn't die, and what happened is somebody like burned out like what is that like a dozen cars? You know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's, Which would, there's, would be nice, I guess, you know. Uh, would it, to, would it, it would have been ideal, but there's there's better pictures of it that show the crater, however small it is, and I would agree it doesn't match up with the traditional uh, IDF ordinance, mainly because, uh, if I can go to the other side here, there are assertions that I've been seeing in the Iranian papers uh, this morning that a specifically an MK-84 uh, bomb was mm. dropped on the courtyard and i don't know if anyone here is like a military ordinance uh you know guy gal no, but mk84 really. no. if you just go on google i mean this is easily seeable 
the crater created by MK84 would have blown the hospital um, completely out of existence. Uh, yeah. it, it's, so it's sure. about a thousand, two thousand pounds of of ordinance. Um, I, I really was not that kind of bomb that was dropped on it. If that is indeed the case, yeah. In, in the sort of moments before any uh, like footage or images came out, that's kind of what I think everyone assumed had happened. Yeah, it's uh, like how how are you going to kill five hundred people if you don't level the hospital? Well, it turns exactly. out apparently there's a lot of people sheltering in this courtyard where right. whatever it is hit. Um, so that's, that's not exceptional. And then you got all these cars burned out. Presumably there was a parking lot fire afterwards. The crater is actually very small. So you could sort of see how one of those tiny little Hamas bottle rockets could have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, there does seem to be even then still a little more damage than you usually see from a Hamas, you know, tiny little rocket. I mean, there's a lot more windows blown out. There's a lot more. You know, the damage is a little bit more extensive, but it yeah. seems too small for Israeli JDAM airstrike, you know? Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, Alice, please. No, no, go ahead. I, I think, I hate to use this phrase because it sounds very like Aaron Sorkin-y, um, yeah. but I think the truth here is probably somewhere in the middle in that likely, if, if the story that seemed most likely to me was about the anti-aircraft uh, from Israel going haywire in some way, Maybe it, it locked on to the hospital in some in some form or another from the heat generated by it. Mm. Um, Just like really, really getting the sort of Iron Dome brief wrong and being like, you know, lo- looking at a hospital, is this a Kassam rocket? Yeah. And, and in addition to that, again, the things that Israel is asserting is, and also the, o- the OSINT Twitter narrative that is going around that it was like a fragmented piece of a rocket. Well, that doesn't That's make sense. clearly wrong. Um, but also, but, and then, but then the IDF narrative is that, uh, it was a PIJ Islamic Jihad rocket that, that misfired. I don't know what the angle of that would be. That doesn't really make sense figuring out directional that it, I don't know. It wouldn't, you wouldn't think it would come in that hot, you know, the IDF were like being really like weirdly cagey about this too. Like for a minute, the, the right. sort of like assumption that like, Every uh, like crank Israeli war blogger with a blue tick made in the first moments was like, uh, "We hit a hospital. We're not sorry. Uh, suck it from the back." And then, in the sort of like hours after that, it then shifted to uh, you know Islamic Jihad or whatever. And that I mean that stinks, but it doesn't necessarily implicate Israel. It just kind of like it sure <sighs> is weird. It's fu- well, it is yeah, weird. I mean, it's fucking weird. Yeah, you had you had a you had a very quick retraction of we hit the hospital and they deserved it to uh it was an accident by Hamas or It's like the reverse they, you know, of the usual IDFPR. You know, normally you start with the denial and then move to the kind of bragging, but here's what I think happened. Because you know, these guys had been receiving phone calls, they gotta evacuate the hospital like several times a day. They've been harassed with Israeli rockets all this time. You know what I think happened? Is they're like, all right, we're going to send them another nice, friendly roof tap. Uh, mm. Let's do it in a parking lot this time. And they didn't know there was a whole bunch of people sheltering in the parking lot. They get their care. smallest whatever, shoot it into the parking lot, and then they're like, oh shit, there were five hundred people in there. Fuck, fuck. Shit. Makes sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would imply, of course, that the Israelis have any decency at all about bombing hospitals. But this is true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah someone's you're, mad you're at me on Twitter. Kind of weighing for... uh, how much how much decency like went into that decision making. Yeah. Right. Oh, well. 
But I, I was reliably informed on Twitter that like they have lawyers look at every targeting decision they make, so you know it can't I mean, be bad. Yeah, there is the assertion we remember after yeah. the Great March of Return when they said they know where every single bullet was fired. Yeah, and then they stopped saying that. Uh, <laughs> oh, they, they know. Just, like, they just they just shouldn't be firing yeah. them there. <laughs> yeah. Eh, mm. Great. Still, yeah. the 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 ethnic cleansing continues, uh, irrespective yeah, of whether or not this is you know the IDF or PIJ or whoever the fuck. Yeah, exactly. You know, since this, uh, since this one guy uh, incident, with a car full of propane tanks, you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, since this incident, it's been like uh, you know they've blown up a refugee camp and a school and a mosque. You know, and that's in the past eight hours. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> all, all the schools are operated by the UN as well, which makes this like double bonus war crime. Oh my god! Yeah, I love covering Palestine, guys. It's great, isn't it? I I I will say uh, I got a call from the Jewish Federation of Greater Philadelphia because I went on birthright. Sorry, and uh, I I they were like, "Hey, we're having a unity march for Israel." And I'm like, "Absolutely, the fuck not!" Like, <laughs> not, I'm, I said verbatim, "I think we should sit this one out," and they hung up on me. <laughs> Wait, did they call you? You were doing this kind of like marine recruiter yeah, trolling. Yeah, yeah, they called they called me like yesterday. They oh, called me yesterday no. or the day oh, before. God. Yeah. No, this is like the time we need to, <laughs> to contact Liam. <laughs> More than ever. Our strongest soldier. Yeah. No, I <laughs> I, I went on, on on a unity march against Israel, I guess. Uh, and it was it was the only thing besides being on my phone that has felt at all cathartic in any way. So um heartily endorse uh protesting um yeah you know yeah and then there's there's of course organizations that could use your money for relief but some of that can't actually get into palestine right now and All in your country right it might be illegal to donate right now yeah I if, mean, if your country is germany which has decided just to go like uh fully uh insane about this you know yeah um, everything is I not see far behind of, them from what i understand too yeah. everything i see out of the berlin government especially is making me feel completely insane. Oh yeah. The amount of yeah. things that they're putting on their restriction. I, I honestly, it, it's so nuts. Um, like, like people saying that, um, people who are doing, I think slogans of, uh, in support of Hamas, whatever that means, uh, like they should be reported to the police. Of course, yeah. that can easily mean just For like free what? Palestine or anything like that. Well, in, in, in Berlin schools now wearing like any outward symbol of like Palestinian solidarity is like a, uh, like a disciplinary offense. What? You know? What? Yeah. Fucking wasn't there, wasn't there that woman in France who was, uh, who was, uh, arrested for saying hello in Arabic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she said salam to some builders, and the her neighbors reported her, and she was arrested by counter-terrorist police. Whose rationale oh after after the fact was these days you can't be too careful. Least racist French neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think perhaps and just a thought. This may be controversial. I think perhaps these days you can be too careful. Um, mm -hmm. Alice mm -hmm. coming in hot with a <laughs> yeah. crazy yeah. take. Oh my god. Yeah, so um, uh, shit's bad, mm -hmm. um, and and getting worse. Yeah, but what's also bad in other news? This year's Hess truck. You really put this in here. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you put this in here on an equal foot. <laughs> I love what? you so much. <laughs> you insane man. <laughs> Remind me, right? The Hess truck is. 
So Hess is a store. Hess is a gas, gas station. station. Uh huh. Yeah. And every year, every Christmas, they release a tr- like a a gas tanker, a, 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 a toy truck, a toy, they, toy truck, yeah, yes. a toy truck of some kind. Right. Uh-huh. It changes Hess every year. Here, it's Alice. a different theme. Um, you know, so in the past, it's been like I don't know a regular semi trailer. Sometimes it's a, like a truck with a helicopter on it. I think uh, you know, there's been one year they did a space shuttle. They've done. They do Both a whole bunch of stuff. Very cool ways of transporting gasoline. This is true. Uh, they usually have like you know they got flashing lights. They got a lot of fun things for the kids to play with. They're really big too, which is cool. Um, so, but this year they've decided as the Hess truck represents the mood of the nation. This year they've decided what they need is a big SWAT team van with a sort of police uh, APC type thing inside it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it, it rolls. <laughs> Scenes from the, like, creeping police militarization, you know? Yes, exactly. This is for the, this is to patrol the post-apocalyptic uh, landscape uh, caused by climate change, caused by the Hess company. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> the thing is, if back in back in the like Bush administration, if you'd been like, uh, if if you'd drawn a bunch of like oil company logos on a police vehicle, that was the most subversive leftist act that was mm-hmm. like possible. <laughs> Culture yeah. jamming. So we're gonna yeah. do Mickey Mouse drinking piss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's the cops actually like work for Shell. Have you thought about this? Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is actually, no, they work for Hess, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Cornering the market on, like, private law enforcement now. Uh, yes. Smart. So, what do we got here? We got 74 lights, four realistic sounds. I wonder what they are. Uh, stop Just, resisting. Sound of body cam powering He's down. got a gun. Yeah. He's got a gun. <laughs> yeah. Slide out battering ram. Are you serious slide, with this? Slide out battering ram on the on the, on the the police vehicle here. This, this reminds uh, me. Cool. This reminds me of the funniest thing that's maybe ever happened in a in a law enforcement context, which is when Steven Seagal became a part-time <laughs> Louisiana sheriff's deputy uh-huh. <laughs> for his TV show, Steven Seagal Lawman. And in the course of doing a no-knock raid for that show, he drove a, like an APC, like that he drove the Hess truck through a wall of a guy's house and killed like ten dogs. Oh, oh my God! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's, okay. Now, and, in fairness, and that's, they would have killed the dogs anyway. Oh, a hundred percent. But like, well, normally the to, cause yeah. of death, you know, and, and the sort of like cop dog interaction is like gunshot wound, not like they have the mulched. balls to meet that dog face to face like men. <laughs> <laughs> I just there's there's something about that story. It will never ever leave my mind. Um. So yeah, thank you, Hess Truck. For reminding yeah, wheelie me of the time pop and action, wheelie <laughs> pop and action, rotating <laughs> turret, mm-hmm. rotating turret with two spotlights and free shipping, free shipping batteries. I mean, to be honest, yeah, when I was solid. a little kid, like I wouldn't have stood a chance against this, you know. And I, I, yeah. I would have developed some some very strange attitudes about the police, which I definitely haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, ACAB includes uh, Hess truck cops. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> ACAB includes like the Hess Corporation. Yes. Um, and a third piece of news. Um, so this this should be relevant right about when we re- release this. The uh the city of Cincinnati, Ohio is selling its uh railroad, the Cincinnati Southern, the only 
uh, municipally owned railroad in the, in the United States of America. They're selling it to the other Palestine bombing company. Um, <laughs> Norfolk Southern. Of Norfolk course. Southern, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. I, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That is reprehensible. Yeah. Three seconds, yeah. 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 Um, so. But nice job, Roz. Yeah. Is it, wait, is it true that you don't pronounce it as like East Palestine, you pronounce it as East Palestine? It's East Palestine, well, because, yes. Because oh Ohio doesn't have a P sound, it's actually East Philistine. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just got Romanized that way and it just kind of stuck. Uh, it's disgusting yeah. fucking Orientalism. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Edward Said warned us about this, you know? He specifically so... called out Ohio. <laughs> Edward, uh, Edward Said's fuck Ohio and other essays. Yeah. <laughs> Ohio will be eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they want to sell this for $1.6 billion. The proposal is they're going to put this in a, into a trust fund for infrastructure, which means roads. Oh, good. Highways. Yeah. Yes. It's um, going to be the first trust fund city. It's going to be really annoying, you know? Yeah. You know? Oh, well, when it's studied abroad. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to, it's going to like move to Manhattan instead of Brooklyn and like really try and find itself. Yeah. You know? And there's like the theory behind this is like, okay, we need to sell this railroad because railroads are going to be obsolete in 25 years when they uh, renegotiate the lease. So it's better to have a liquid trust fund than a stranded asset, Shut right? Up, Obviously, you that's fucking you know, dweebs. That's that's sort of bullshit. Um, this has been supported by the Chamber of Commerce, the Mayor, the City Council, the unions, including trade unions in Cincinnati and the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, a bunch of environmental groups. Um, it's still a stupid idea, and you should vote no. Uh, mm. yeah, it's, uh, issued 22 on the November 7th ballot. I know railway workers United has also come out against it and they've only really, as of recording time had, have started to hold any kind of public hearings on it. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is a bad move by the city. I think better to have the railroad maybe be able to get some use out of it, you know, cause right now they just lease it to Norfolk Southern and say, do whatever you want with it. You know, maybe you could have passenger trains on it in the future if the city keeps control, as opposed to selling it, and then you know you never you never see that again. Capitalize <laughs> on that, right? Yeah. So, especially since I want to say Amtrak wants to do some stuff on this line eventually in the near future, it'd be better to have that kind of leverage. But eh, whatever. Um, so yeah, I I, I would. It just isn't I, a railroad story unless it culminates with that noise. You know, yeah. uh, grunt. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I, I would recommend uh, vote no on this, if nothing else, despite Norfolk Southern. Um, a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, that was the goddamn news. Jarring shift in tone. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> we got to talk right, about boats. this. The shitty, shitty boat. This is the MV Rosas. Um, and I, I, I'm using it sort of like final name because it went through that about like... three or four or five of them. Um, sounds like a marine version of alcoholism. What, MV Rosas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of a wreck, is the thing. Like, um, this, this was built in Japan as like... Sir a... Rosas and the Knights of the Round Bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was built as a dredger in Japan, um, and oh god, yeah, yeah, in like the eighties, um, and it just got it's like it fell out of the Japanese shipping industry into this kind of like 
international dark shipping world where it was renamed like five or six different times it was reflagged to and i have the list here uh south korea belize panama uh and and then like again and again and again um it was sort of like it's in this broad swath of the economy of uh like marine transport where not only is it very difficult to say who owns this, it's very difficult to say what it's carrying, where, and why. And I don't think anyone's going to sue us or assassinate us for this, but I there are a few sort of legitimate reasons why that's the case, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Mostly you're trying to do stuff on the cheap or you're trying to do stuff that you shouldn't, like break sanctions or, you know, disguise what you're, what you're moving where. Um, this is so so rosas by the time it is named mv rosas is ostensibly owned by uh, a russian guy called igor grachushkin um oh okay well i, I yeah. hate stereotype but goddamn does that sound criminal first first time owning his own ship um which might be a bad thing if you believe that he owned it at all, because it's what? it's also <laughs> suggested that it was owned by this Cypriot guy, Carolambus Manoli. Um, Why do like, all of these people? I hate, I hate to say this, but I'm allowed to hmm. say this as half of half of me is from the global south. All of these hmm. people have names that sound criminal. <laughs> well, because, these these are the thing, mafia because they all names. Are criminals? <laughs> no, I know, but so, like, like these, like triple, like, like double barrel. They, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I've seen. I've, yeah. I played too much Max Payne. You know. No, oh, no, no. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> you know. You know how much even a crappy boat costs. I mean, you got to be a criminal just to have the money to afford the boat. Yeah. No kidding. Do I mean, think, do you this not is, believe these people are self-made? <laughs> this is oh, this is also like, just kind of with. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge about it. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's also a, a, like it's a conversion, right? Because it's built as this dredger. What they do to turn it into like a general shipping thing is they just like tear all the stuff out of it, lengthen the hull so it's a stretch ship, um, right? And and then change all of the registrations so it, it's it's then reflagged to Georgia and to Moldova. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and... File off the VIN number. <laughs> yeah, essentially yes, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, there is no shortage of these. This is a huge, huge proportion, like, you know, maybe even a plurality of, uh, like, international shipping is is like this, you know, uh, where it's sailing under a flag of convenience, the crew are all, like, hired in, uh, we'll talk more about the crew in a minute, um, and it's making sort of, like, uh, sailings which are suspicious. Ostensibly, what this is doing is it is taking ammonium nitrate, which we'll get to in a minute, from a Georgian fertilizer maker to an explosives manufacturer in Mozambique, which in itself is a weird journey. However, it's been variously suspected that neither the origin nor the destination are actually like true. Um, oh, okay. All right. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. All we really know about this is that some ammonium nitrate ends up on board, it leaves Batumi in Georgia, um, and it, it's trying to go to Beira um, uh, in Mozambique, doesn't get there. Instead, it ends up in Beirut, and it ends up in Beirut for like, again, 
very difficult to say reasons. Like the owners maybe say that the crew were trying to extort them. The crew say that they, you know, uh, couldn't afford passage through the Suez Canal because, you know, this guy who allegedly owned it wasn't even paying their salaries. It was barely seaworthy. Um, and so when they end up in Beirut with these bags of ammonium nitrate, 2,750 tons of them, the Beirut Port Authorities take one look at it and they go, yeah, no, you, you absolutely cannot go back on the ocean with this. Uh, because of how absurdly dangerous it is. Uh, next slide, please. All right. So, what is ammonium nitrate, uh, and why? Why do we care? What is? What, what have they got? Two thousand seven hundred and fifty tons of on this uh, very shoddy-looking boat. It's a fun chemical. It's a salt, right? It's NH four NO three. That's um, so nitrogen, four hydrogens, and a nitrogen, and three oxygens, right? And those are the, the NH4 and the NO3 are the cation and the anion, respectively, right? Um, so that, that's what makes it a salt, is those two put together. This is used for fertilizer a lot because it's very stable, doesn't lose nitrogen in transit like liquid fertilizers do. Uh, but it also has this fun property where when you heat it, it reacts with itself, mm. right? And that's an exothermic reaction, which means it releases heat. So your NH4 and your NO3 turn into N2O and 2H2O plus heat. Both of those are released as gases. That means they expand very rapidly. So if you have this sort of runaway reaction that occur can can occur, you get a boom. Boom. Great. Yeah. Great sound uh, by system of a down. Yeah. So, if we go to the next slide, um, this crew—they're uh, all Russian and Ukrainians. Uh, I think mostly Ukrainians. The captain is Russian, um, and the ship gets impounded in Beirut. Uh, is seen here in the port of Beirut, and they send most of the crew home. But it's still got to have uh, like three or four people on board, like the captain, the boatswain, the chief engineer, S sort of skeleton crew, exactly, mm. uh, just to like keep an eye on it. Um, and they don't like this because they haven't been paid. Uh, Grachushkin, the Russian guy, has like fucking disappeared at this point, so they're not going to get paid. Um, they're stuck in port in Beirut, can't leave the ship, can't leave Beirut, um, and they're just kind of there with this ammonium nitrate, which they know is extremely dangerous. Um, th this is the kind of part where they start appealing to people. Um, so they, they appeal to the Lebanese government in its various manifestations and get nowhere, uh, which is going to be a recurring theme. Uh, so the captain begs the Russian embassy for help, and uh, their, re their response, like allegedly verbatim, is, what do you want Putin to do, send Spetsnaz? Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is just the, like a beautiful moment in sort of like Russian bureaucracy to be like, listen, what do you what do you want me to do? you want me to do my job as a diplomat? We don't really do that here, you know. I We've, mean, you sent you sent Spetsnaz after the owner. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's true. That's what you you're supposed to do. Make an honorable rescue operation for the Russian working class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I run the ship better than these guys. Yeah. So, so then they try and go like public with it. Um, and you, you see here their their signs. Lebanese, release me. Let me go. Um, the shipping press kind of take an interest. Um, and there are a few articles from like you know, 2014 or whatever, that are like, uh, you know, these four guys are 
trapped sitting on a floating bomb, which is fantastic. If we go to the yeah. next slide, uh, we this, can this is also like a hmm. surprisingly common occurrence in uh, international oh, shipping, yeah. where owners just abandon the ship, and then there's some guys Leave. who are legally required to sit on the ship mm-hmm. forever. Um, yeah, no, nobody nobody knows who owns the ship. Nobody knows who owns the cargo because no one's taking an interest in recovering it, which in itself is pretty fucking suspicious. Um, we see here a couple of Ukrainians and their cargo. That's the ammonium nitrate in these bags, um, and it's just it's just heaped up on deck like this um, oh, to good. the point that it, it it like buckles a couple of the hatches that it's resting on. Oh, good. Oh, Unique. That it, it's amazing how even before the war, there are still photos of Ukrainians casually sitting around a bunch of high explosives. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's just like it's sitting on a pier, so like kind of out of the way in the port of Beirut. Um, and, it, you know, uh, nobody's kind of paying that much attention. And it stays that way for years in total right this cargo will not move from the port of beirut for six years at which point it will move very very quickly um right (laughs) but yeah so so these guys are just like stuck waiting their boss the next they hear of him is that he's bankrupt um (laughs) so the beirut port authority seizes the ship it seizes the cargo um, and after a year on board, they're finally these these poor fucking guys get to go home. Um, okay, all right, all right. Well, that's good to hear. Somewhat, yeah. yeah. So I bet it's pro- gonna end real solved, sad for me. You know, we've 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 got these like they had to go home to a nice, relaxing Ukraine. Um, Ooh, yeah, these, where nothing these, bad would ever happen again. Yes. Yeah, the, and these bags of ammonium nitrate are, are still sitting there for the moment. And the friendship uh, between Russia and the Ukrainian nation uh, remains to this day. Yeah, it was forged in that know. moment, and it remains remains strong. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and here I'm going to rely heavily on Seamus because my the thrust of this one was what is Lebanon? <laughs> Do you just want me to go off of that prop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Uh, like uh, you can just read the Wikipedia page. Lebanon is uh, you know. Uh, wow, well, in- uh, Leban- <laughs> the Lebanese Republic. Um- <laughs> It's uh, I'm not, <laughs> how do I okay um no Lebanon is an extremely small country uh, in the Levant uh, in the Middle East um it's kind of uh, at the center of multiple different regional conflicts which means that its small size uh, does not matter um mm. uh, it, it like it it has an outsized importance for sure. I mean, the Iranians are, are fighting the Saudis uh, within influence systems there. Uh, the Iranians are also fighting the Israelis. Um, all of it kind of goes through, uh, you know, Lebanese territory, Lebanese airspace. And this um, one government, which is institutionally sectarian, which is an interesting sort of, it, it, it's a holdover of a, a, the, the peace agreement after the civil war that um, the posts in any Lebanese government are like decided by what religion that guy is. Correct. Um, so the president uh, has to be a Maronite Christian. Uh, the prime minister has to be a uh, Sunni and the speaker of parliament has to be Shia. Um, can you briefly explain what a Maronite Christian is just for me? Essentially just like a Catholic. Okay, but, thank you. But, but like in, in the context of, of, of Lebanon. 
Okay, thank um, you. Gross oversimplification in a sure. Catholics. Do not come for me. <laughs> I, I'm just. I yeah. cannot go into the the specifics. <laughs> um, but uh, so the presidency has kind of uh, come and gone through a couple of different people. Prime Minister, obviously. Uh, but the Speaker of Parliament, uh, Nebi Berry, um, has been the same speaker since the early 1990s. Um, he's, he's the kingmaker uh, in that respect. Um, mm. Lebanese politics is infamously um, stagnant. Um, very little changes uh, from year to year. Um, and especially since the economic crisis started in 2019, um, it's been even more stagnant. Um, right now, Lebanon has spent over a year without a president. Um, this happened before, actually, before the economic crisis, where they spent almost a year trying to elect a new president, who eventually became Michel Aoun. Uh, Aoun left at the end of his term, and now there is, they're still trying to elect somebody. Um, in addition to that, there is no firm prime minister. There mm -hmm. is a caretaker prime minister who resigned. In 2022, back when I was still in college, and I've graduated, I have my diploma, I now live in Beirut, and he is still technically the prime minister because no president has been elected, and in addition, oh there are no other candidates for prime minister who want the job. Yeah, no, no one wants it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is... There's an image of of Lebanon and Beirut specifically. Beirut, which you know, uh, at one time was the you know the Paris of the East, right? I, I picked a very nice picture to show that it's you know. Yes. It's beautiful that is that is uh, that is um, a street in downtown Beirut that I go down uh, very often. Mm. Uh, it is a absolutely gorgeous part of town with absolutely no businesses of any kind. <laughs> it's completely gentrified to shit, but uh, it is very well tended to. Uh, mm. And it is it's very mm. nice. Yes. And um, on the left, I have. It's so, ni it's, it's so nice there. They removed the yellow filter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, uh, on the left, I have a screenshot from, I, I think, is it Fox's uh, Homeland? Um, yes. I remember now, this episode specifically. Um, yeah. It is, a, it is a glorious uh, part of the Homeland universe in which um, Al Qaeda. Uh, led by the horrible Abu Nazir, um, is holding a public meeting with Hezbollah um, by closing <laughs> off. As you do, uh, we are the world, you know, holding hands, oh saying goodbye. What they're, what they're like, doing, like seen, what they're doing in the scene right now is that there are, there are Hezbollah trucks going down Hammer Street, and they're closing off the neighborhood so that they can have this meeting in public, but also in secret. Um, <laughs> Having like a, a New England town hall meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I should say, and I think I was, was about to say this, mm. um, but that is not what Hammer Street uh, looks like um, no. in any way, shape, or form. It's not like a narrow alleyway. Hammer Street is a very wide, very lively street uh, with a Nike store, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. Um, there are numerous bookshops. I'm sorry that you have there. to have a, a, a Dunkin'. There are so many Duncans <laughs> in Beirut, man. There's two. There's they, two different ones in the airport now. Maybe so. It is New uh, England after yeah, all. It's just it's like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Beirut yeah. is just extremely eastern, extremely east Boston. That's why I call it the Boston of the Middle East. It's a term of respect. <laughs> yeah. um, do, do they have any weird menu items on Dunkin' Donuts over there? I don't believe so. I think it's pretty typical. Unfortunately, ah, okay. I, I wish they had yeah. something specific. Can you they guys have... get that Oreo shake with like 3,200 calories or whatever? <laughs> I, I haven't tested it, but I'm sure they, they love that shit. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, essentially, the the yeah the perception of also the idea that you could close off like gates to Hamra, which is just like a neighborhood near the university. Um, absurd. Not based on anything. They filmed this in Israel. Yeah, it's uh, like oh my god, they, they, they have they filmed this the in Israel. Minute city is real. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did they film it in Israel, but they got uh, like Arabic speaking graffiti artists to do some like threatening graffiti for people who don't read Arabic to do in the background, and uh, all of them said shit like "Homeland is racist" in Arabic, <laughs> uh, and, and nobody knew, nobody checked, so it made it on screen, which is the, you know the, as they deserve. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I, Americans, I think, and Brits to a lesser extent, still think that Beirut is the place that you go to get kidnapped by sectarian mm. militias. And I, while I guess if you put your back into it, you could still get kidnapped by a sectarian <laughs> militia. It's yeah. kind of we don't we don't we're not comfortable with that level of absurdity that you could get kidnapped by a sectarian militia outside of Dunkin' Donuts. So it has to be the like dusty, narrow street with the you know technicals and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I should, I, I, if I could take 30 seconds uh, to pitch your audience. Um, Beirut is my absolute favorite city in the entire world. Um, I feel in love with it completely, entirely, almost like you would a woman. Mm. And uh, I, 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 it's beautiful, it's lively, it's exciting, uh, it's, it's wonderful, and also uh, rent is extremely cheap, uh, always has Ooh. been. Um, and you can get a wonderful apartment uh, for what an apartment in New York City used to cost uh, in more mm -hmm. reasonable times. Um, great city. Wonderful country. Um, I hope to go back because right now I'm in Oregon and I hate the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about right, the Lebanese. We're, we're moving it. We're moving it. Everybody move. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The Lebanese please, economy. Please don't move right now. But like in a month, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. G give you time to get back and give things time to calm down. Um, but yeah, so, yeah. so Lebanon is, as you say, a small country. It's a very import dependent country. Um, yes, which means everything has to come in like largely by port, largely in the port of Beirut. It's a nice deep water port, very you know well equipped. You know, um, it also is uh had a currency the pound which was pegged to the dollar which is a bit like handcuffing yourself to a very strong idiot um <laughs> and, and you so, rang <laughs> and so and so if, if you recall uh about like 2009 as a you know consequence of the, the 2008 crisis the uh like the dollar shortage um that fucked the Lebanese economy for like well to date arguably um and this that led to like this huge huge program with like you know the, the world bank doing what the world bank does and you know demanding sort of maximal austerity um in exchange for bailout funds that had to be filtered through this like uh stagnant uh government that was like constantly working against itself um next slide please no one ever wants to go with the, the, the simple, easy solution that worked for Italy and Greece for so long, just have a continually depreciating currency. Yeah. No one wants <laughs> to go right. for oh, we'll that, even you. though it works oh, we'll great. We'll <laughs> so this is Warehouse 12. Um, it's, it's on the key. It, it's like next to where the Rosas was moored. Um, and, you know, any, any port has a bunch of warehouses like this. This is like a bonded warehouse where, you know, the, the Lebanese port authorities control the access to it. Um, 
And they look at all of this, these bags of fertilizer sitting in the sun, and they, someone finally goes, okay, we should move those, and we should move those into Warehouse 12. Um, store all of this like extremely hazardous material securely. Um, now, everything that gets seized goes into Warehouse 12. And I mean, every, so like, whatever, like cocaine, yeah. uh, AKs, uh, you know, uh, Samizdat, like fertilizer, and in this case, fireworks. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, we had to seize this, this ship carrying 400,000 cubic meters of fire and store that next to the AMFO. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we've built these, like, ammo, ammonium nitrate. We've built these fuel oil bunkers underneath it. Now, yeah. to their credit, as far as I can tell, every single person in Beirut has at one time or another emailed their boss to say, you know how fucking dangerous this is, right? Like, everyone involved in this, the Port Authority, uh, the police, the intelligence services, the military, the fire department, everyone has been like, this is a horrible idea. The warehouse is like visibly falling apart. Uh, you know, the, the, it's like the sacks of uh, ammonium nitrate are leaking. There's like tears in them. Uh, oh, there's Jesus. like, there's like fertilizer all over the floor and shit. This is going to be obscenely dangerous. Um, the thing now, to, I think, know hmm. about Lebanese bureaucracy, which I'm sure exists in many other great nations along the world, Hmm. Is that the business of, like, there are so many letters sent around different departments, uh, different agencies, every single day, thousands, uh, perhaps hundreds of millions. Hmm. But the purpose is not to get anything actually addressed. The point is to have stamps put on them and for them to be inevitably sent to somebody else, which can then collect um, either fines or, or just straight up bribes. Mm. Uh, or you wait for somebody with connections to move something along as kind of a personal favor. Sure. Um, it's, it's about as, as stagnant as stagnant can be. And that is horribly annoying when you're dealing with something um, like, a, like a municipal complaint. Uh, and then it just escalates into something completely catastrophic when you were dealing with something, like as you said, yeah. Uh, everybody notices, everybody has been alerted to the fact that the ammonium nitrate in this warehouse um, is, it, it's, a, it's a ticking time bomb of horrifying conditions, um, but everybody kind of thinks it's somebody else's duty or responsibility, uh, mm. and they just kind of keep passing it around for, mm. for years and years and years. Yeah. yeah. No, nobody yeah. Who, who, like, could claim to own this fertilizer is interested in taking it back, so it's just on the port authority now and they they try and like give it away they try and give it away to the the lebanese military uh to like explosives companies uh and nobody really they try and like resell it nobody wants anything to do with it on a isis see if they want it <laughs> well yeah. this is the thing there is someone who takes an interest and the reason why you know this is that this could have been much much worse as insane oh, as that sentence. is to say because they later worked out, uh, this is from some, some great investigative reporting into this, um, that when this detonates, which we'll get to in a couple of slides, there's only 20% of the cargo left. So in between it coming to Beirut 
and then someone has abstracted the other 80% of this fertilizer, and no one knows who, or where it went, or why. Now, if I had to speculate about why a shitload of fertilizer might be going from Georgia to Mozambique, and then unaccountably ending up in Beirut, I would suggest that maybe someone was trying to take that fertilizer to Syria, and they weren't trying to use it to fertilize things, except very indirectly, you know? Um, But no one knows. I I can't prove that. No one can prove that. Um, So, yeah, it, it, it could have been much worse. But much like sort of like emailing your landlord or texting your landlord, uh, and you say, you know, uh, the, the the roof is imminently falling in on my apartment, um, and also Please this send one fertilizer. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the the roof is imminently falling in on my apartment. Uh, everything is knee deep in water. Also, this one light switch doesn't work. Um, the tactic is to ignore all of that and fix the light switch. Right. So someone at some point says, "Hey, one of these doors into the warehouse is busted." Um, <laughs> Yeah, genuinely. I, I, I don't I know. Was going to, I was going to pick up to my ANFO, or my ammonium nitrate. <laughs> I was smuggling it over the border yeah. into Syria, and I noticed, hey, well, this door why. squeaks <laughs> like a motherfucker. There's this door. There's door yeah, it squeaks a lot. Yeah, it's not very good. Someone should take a look at that. <laughs> yeah, and so they do. So, so what happens is a crew comes out to weld the door. Um, next slide, please. Yeah. Uh, just uh, so everyone knows, I keep saying ANFO, that's ammonium nitrate and fuel oil. Very common, very stable explosive. It's what blew um, up Oklahoma City, you may be familiar yeah, exactly. with it. Yeah, I think that uh, was straight ammonium nitrate. Was it? Yeah, yeah it I'm was. not sure. Well, oh, my yeah. bad. Yeah. So, we, we see, we see uh, here warehouse number 12, door number 11, and I get to do the thing, because 1745 local time on the 4th of August 2020, um, the, uh, the fire department gets a call that warehouse 12 is on fire. Um, and they send a team of nine firefighters, one paramedic to fight the fire. Um, and they go, man, there's something weird about this. This fire's like way too intense. It's making a bunch of like weird noises, which are probably the fireworks. Um, they, you know, try and get the door open and then next slide, please. Like not ten minutes later, um, just goes up. You know, lamb, yeah, oh, Jesus. You you can see like so many videos of this. Um, I I don't recommend it, but they exist. Um, and this is this is really one of those things where like you know it, it helped the investigation because you had a lot of video of this you know like mushroom cloud that went up from a lot of different angles. Um, but uh. Yeah, everyone who like heard it remembers hearing this like raw like fighter jets going over of I guess just air, um, and then one small explosion and then one huge explosion. Um, and you know, it, it, it's this is one of the things where uh, filming is is very very bad for your health. Um, yes, y- you want to like it because people go outside to film the big fire, right? Which is already oh, of kind of like you know uh, the the plume is going up. Um, and they're either like on their balconies or they're like standing in front of their windows. Um, and so when this explodes, like 
there's a ton of people who are looking directly at it. You know, there's like there's glass in front of them. Oh, yeah, God. and it, it's real like it's like threads. You know, it's horrible. Um, and I should say that the amount of glass that was broken uh, in the blast, um, it's still not all cleaned up. Mm-hmm. When you walk around Beirut, you will oftentimes come across big piles of broken glass that have not, they, they've all been gathered into this pile, but they haven't been cleaned up. It just kind of sits there because no one is around to to take it back. So mm. lots of, like, there's still destruction. I mean, we'll, we'll go into this, but yeah, alongside all the destruction from the blast, it's still extant. Um, those, those tiny reminders of just how expansive the blast was are, are still there very large and small. Mm. Uh, also, uh, Justin, I think you had something about the, like the color of this cloud as well. Yeah. So this is, uh, this cloud is very red and that's not from like dust or anything or a particular coloration. Uh, you know, you, you expect, okay, it's a little bit red from the yellow filter, right? No, um, that's uh, a red orange cloud from nitrous oxide. Um, it's, uh, it, it always, when you have a big ammonium nitrate, nitrate, uh, explosion like this, it has this big red orange cloud regardless of what color filter is applied to the local area. Um, going over this in like a Montgolfier balloon, getting the biggest laughing gas high of your life. Yes. yes. Uh, next, also inhaling smoke particles and dying, but... Also, also that, yes. Don't worry about yeah. that bit. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so it, it, it's hard to pick like one image to, to represent exactly how bad this was because it was like devastation uh, i mean i mean people felt it in cyprus you know as uh, huge huge explosion uh you know uh like tons and tons of tnt equivalent yeah um, you're, you're you're talking about 1500 i want to say tons of tnt equivalent that's so that's one and a half kilotons that's i forget how much the atomic bomb was on hiroshima um mm, but it's it, uh, it's like it's comparable you know it's it's up there um, it's, it's a big, it, really big uh, Hiroshima was 15 explosion. kilotons. So 15 so, kilotons. So it was one tenth still, of a Hiroshima. That's a lot. I mean, that's a fucking lot. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, obviously anyone in the port just gets vaporized instantly, which is yeah. kind of a mercy um, because everybody else, like every window in Beirut breaks. Um, yes. A bunch of the cladding uh, just like is is like blown off of buildings. A lot of the like structures of them are just like twisted and destroyed. Uh, a lot of buildings collapse, um, and the, you know the, there's a crater like forty two, I think forty two meters deep in, in the port here. Jesus Christ! Um, you see all these big modern buildings with you know gla- all glass buildings, and it's just all gone. You just too. see. Yeah, like I mean, that's you know all, all of the like fanciest you like your your hotels and like museums and shit like that. Uh, the the like largest hospital in the city is like down the street, um, and it just like takes out entire wards of it. Um, and yeah, in in like terms of raw numbers, like you know, killed what like two hundred and twenty people, I think. Um, but a little bit it, more than that, yeah. But but under three hundred, yeah. Um, and, and like in general, like the, the homelessness coming off of this is is like one of the the striking things I because all of that, Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, because like it, you know, even if your house isn't like sustaining huge structural damage, if you like, you know, lose all of the windows out of it, along it with everyone else, doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, no. yeah, and you know, <laughs> you're kind of like struggling to book a glazer at that point. You know, I was about to say, you know, the the one the one person to be good to be right now would be a glazer. <laughs> I mean, this th- hundreds of thousands of people were made, were made homeless in that kind of instant. And at the moment, you know, a lot of people have returned to neighborhoods in Beirut, but around the port itself, in neighborhoods like Shemeza or Mar Mikhail, um, the vacancy rate mm. of these buildings uh, in certain districts, especially around the, um, the old electricity du Liban building, um, which was also gutted in the explosion, uh, some of these vacancy rates are approaching like 90%, over 90%. Jesus. Wow. Uh, there are single, what, what you'll usually see is that there are single businesses on the first floor um, at street level, but then virtually every other apartment uh, above it is empty and has been empty likely uh, for months, if not years. Um, mm. A lot of landlords took the opportunity either to get out of Lebanon entirely, in which case you were lucky that you didn't have to pay rent anymore. Um, or they demanded higher rents in return for repairing your entire apartment, um, or they told you to kick rocks entirely, and mm. they um, gentrified, helped gentrify the neighborhood, and they wanted more. They renovated it. They asked for better tenants. Um, in which case, mostly these apartments uh, stay empty. Um, it absolutely accelerated the gentrification of these working class neighborhoods that were around uh, the port which were already becoming um, major bar and restaurant districts, but are now almost entirely for people who do not live in these neighborhoods. Mm. Um, they're awake, uh, you know, up until 2, 3 a.m., constantly partying, and the actual people who still live there have to appeal to the government just to shut down the music. Like, it has to go up that far. Oh, my Jesus. God. I mean, there's 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 no capitalism like disaster capitalism, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a, it's a good time to do your sort of like land grab and open the worst pizza restaurant uh, in <laughs> Levant that is not in Israel. Um, there are like <laughs> ten of those that I have been to uh, around those neighborhoods. Alice is not kidding. Uh, next slide, please. Um, of course, one other consequence of this, one massive consequence of this is, remember how I said that Beirut is very import dependent, a lot of it comes through the port of Beirut. Uh, what's one really quick way to functionally make the port of Beirut inoperable for months? Oh, 43 uh, yard yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, not only is all of the stuff that was already meant to be coming in, coming through there, but like this is where you would ordinarily bring your aid as well. So, yeah. You just sort of like, I mean, not to sort of like over dramatize this, but the state that the Lebanese economy was in, it was like on its knees before this. And then this just like, you know, fucking hooks out one of the thighs from under it, too. Like, um, just having this sort of like this huge like cornerstone of like how all of your economy works, that all of your imports come through just be like a disaster area instead is, uh, as you can imagine you know, a huge sort of burden. Uh, next slide, please. I, I should also, uh, this is this is going to be Justin's part for the main part, but I, I think we should probably explain why there's grain everywhere. Um, it's one of the oh, yeah. most surreal bits of this is like, why is this, why is this kind of like orange? It's because there's like corn 
all over it um because of this like you can kind of see the the ruins of it. it's the tallest building left standing in the port this is a a grain elevator um which is again it's it, it's a double-edged sword right because because it's so tall and because it's built so strongly it kind of shields a significant like axis of beirut from worse damage um it's just this like wall behind which you know you're not necessarily going to get as bad destruction but on the other yeah. hand that's where you keep all the fucking grain and so it, you, all of the like grains and she like go around with a shovel like sifting corn off of the ground uh like you just lose a bunch of food and your capacity to store it also is fucked now um mm. and this is this is august so you're heading into like uh awesome winter which is cool because it still gets cold um next slide please yeah so this was a big ass concrete grain silo and and these are some of the toughest structures in existence today they're notorious for being impossible to demolish um impossible to repurpose impossible to sell um if you ever been to silo city in buffalo new york you can see these huge abandoned structures no one can tear them down they're just too tough um Kind of brain flack to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, inspired Le Cubusier to invent modernism, so on and so forth. <laughs> um, Beirut got theirs in 1970. That was comparatively late. A lot of these structures were built in like the 30s. Um, but yeah, this is just uh, a big series of reinforced concrete cylinders that you fill with some form of bulk product, usually grain, right? Uh, and then it's got a shed on top for uh, mechanical equipment and offices. Um, you know, so there's a lot more structural material in here than a typical building because it has to hold, you know, solid grain instead of comparatively light stuff like people, right? Yeah, um, and grain loves to explode, as we've talked sure about. Does. Exactly. It's got to withstand an interior explosion as well. Um, so... What happened here is this thing took one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history to the face sideways, and part of it was still standing. That's pretty fucking yeah. impressive. God bless the, the, the silo. <laughs> yeah, these are incredible structures, and that sort of protects uh, a lot of the city that's to the east of the structure this way. Um, now, a lot of the city is unfortunately to the south of the structure, so that didn't necessarily come off too well, as well as most of the parts of the port that handle break bulk um so but it did it did do a lot of shielding to the east uh and just to talk about how impressive this is if you compare like the other famous structure that survived a huge explosion which is the uh the atom bomb dome in hiroshima um now that was at ground zero of the bomb blew up right which meant that most of the force on it was vertical as opposed to horizontal that's why all the walls are still standing, because compared to the weight that they can stand, the vertical force of the atomic bomb isn't actually that much. It's very hard to crush a building like that, but it's very easy to knock it over. Um, this thing, the explosion was trying to knock it over, and it survived. Um, and uh, Beirut is better off for it, um, you know, other than all the grain being destroyed, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, sad to say that the rest of it did collapse uh, a couple of years ago, uh, well, but it, it it took that long. It the thing it's interesting because um, on the two year anniversary, yes, 
most of the columns did collapse, but there's still a couple of them still standing. Hmm. So when you are walking along uh, in those neighborhoods alongside the port, those silos are still there and they haven't been cleaned up. They haven't been really touched. They repaired the stuff around the port in order to restore it to some sort of working capability. But nobody wants to do anything with the silos. One, because it would be too much work, um, which yeah. government is allergic to. And two, there is debate over whether or not they want to keep it as like a memorial of some sort, um, mm. as, as like um, a reminder of, of some kind. Um, but there's no obvious public debate about it. There's no procedure to it. There's no tender, obviously. Um, so it just kind of sits there. And yeah. I assume the point is that they'll wait for that to collapse. And then, yeah. then it's off their hands. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I would probably keep it as a memorial, because if you wanted to demolish it, the only way to do that is to do the explosion again. Um, <laughs> so... That's that's Don't not, recommend not a, that. No. Yeah, not no, not please. a feasible option. Um yeah, I mean, apparently the like the bit that collapsed had been tilting since the explosion and then the grain that was left in it just started fermenting. Um uh, so, so yeah, and and then that caught fire and then, you know, a bunch more of it collapsed. Just got a just got the suddenly Beirut's largest distillery in that in that one silo. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is this is what saved a good chunk of the city from being hit much worse. Um, another thing is this thing rolled over a whole cruise ship. God damn! Uh, well, I didn't yeah. know about this. Yeah, so it was uh, it only had crew on board at the time, but this was the cruise ship Orient Queen. It was just uh, north of the blast site. It sustained some pretty heavy damage from the explosion. Two people on board were killed, but everyone else survived and got off the boat before it rolled over. And I think it's still there. It may not be still there. I'm not sure. I I definitely haven't seen it, but, you know, my, my eyes may lie to me. Mm. I mean, the, the, the ship whose fertilizer this was, the Rosas, that's still in the breakwaters sunk off of Beirut. Um, just because after uh, they finally like took all the shit off of it, they just towed it out there, and then it just kind of sunk on its own, and it's still there. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, next slide, please. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a bit about the the sort of the rescue efforts, which were uh, remarkable. How little uh, the like government or the military, uh, d like how little interest they seemed to take at the time. Um, it was like ambulance crews and like just people for the most part in, in the early days. Um, and then at some point, like some like international aid came in sort of like a bit later and there was, you know, like pulling people out of the rubble for, you know, like weeks afterwards as is sort of like usual for this kind of urban search and rescue stuff. But, um, again, it's just like pure, pure dysfunction, um, which, you know, uh, I, struggle to imagine the feeling but i i can at least kind of like plot its consequences um which uh i think we're gonna talk about on the next slide um and this is this is much more like open-ended but i want to talk about the kind of like political like aftermath of this if, if you can even say aftermath because it's still going right yeah yeah no 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 um after the port explosion um the prime minister uh, resigned, a bunch of other uh, politicians resigned, but as is a similar situation right now, um, there really was no one who wanted the position after mm. the fact. Um, 
Lebanon is very much a, a sinking ship. So mm -hmm. the amount of money that you can extract out of it um, is shrinking day by day as people kind of take their assets out and, and go elsewhere. Um, so the prime minister at the time, Hassan Diab, who was already itself a, a, a politician they had to uh, get out of nowhere. He was a professor at my university hmm. um, before they, they took him. He, he used to be education minister, um, but he had just been teaching, I think, computer science or some sort of economics at, AU, at AUV. Um, was sort of like kidnapped to be prime minister. Uh, sort of. Um, he was also service, we'll say. I mean, listen, it, it, well, happened, it happens to the best of us. I remember that picture of Saad Hariri with MBS, where he's got, oh, it, like, where he's got his arm oh. around him. <laughs> the the most depressed man in human history, Saad <laughs> yeah. Hariri. Um, Hassan Diab was different because Hassan was kind of lowly enough that he could be convinced, but also he had um, a kind of insane sense of self-importance. He had written his resume, I, I want to say was close to a thousand pages. Wow. Um, he, uh -huh. he compiled himself into like a book that you could get. Um, no, he, like he had, he had an extreme sense of self-importance about how much he could do for Lebanon. And then when he gets in there, obviously he can't do anything. So uh, he resigns after the blast. And then he stays on for months and months and months because they can't find a new prime minister who could take after him. Uh, they consider Saad Hariri again, even though his resignation was what brought Hassan Diab. Uh, into the prime ministership. Um, yeah, uh, eventually uh, there are uh, they they find someone who was prime minister before ne uh, Najib McNaughty, um of a of a centrist party to come back. He's a billionaire, one of the richest men in Lebanon again, like Saturday. Um Every interview he gives now, I watch them. He is so depressed about Fair enough how little <laughs> yeah. he can do. Um, there was one just a couple days ago. I want to say when he when he was interviewed by Al Jadid where the reporter asks him about Hezbollah on the border and what the Lebanese government can do. And the prime minister, he's like, he's not wearing a suit. He's just wearing uh, like a button-down shirt. And he just tells the reporter, like, are you in Lebanon or are you, you know, in uh, Caracas? Like, you know the situation here. Like, I can't do anything about this. Uh, this is out of my hands. Like, I just kind of watch and observe. Um Brown. Yeah, he he's he's depressed about it. He's upset about it. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. it's better than the the sort of the Allen press conferences where he would say like, you know, if you don't love the government and want to kiss it on the mouth, you can go fuck yourself, and there will be like two days of riots. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no, he genuinely said like, if if you if you can't find it in you to like have faith in the government, you should leave Lebanon. Uh, and and this was in the midst of like uh, like six like weeks crisis. of like Arab Spring sort of like um, depending on how you count it like protests revolution whatever literally just if you don't love America you can kiss my ass you know yeah absolutely <laughs> um, no there there were protests that erupted after this obviously people demanding that the government should fall as they did in twenty nineteen. Um, Obviously, it didn't happen. It, it kind of just um, fell out of um, national consciousness. The currency kept collapsing. Um, economic concerns became paramount. The poverty rate, uh, national poverty rate, I want to say is around like 86% now. Mm. Um, uh, food inflation uh, is through the roof. Um, uh, prices keep, keep rising. Um, almost everything in the country is dollarized now um, in the sense that you can pay with lira but shops, restaurants, businesses would really prefer that you paid in dollars that are in pristine condition um, that they can use to buy imports. 
which Lebanon is completely dependent on for uh, all of its basically all of its food supply, um, everything that cut everything that that it operates on. Mm. Um, again, as I mentioned before, uh, there is no firm prime minister. There is absolutely no president <laughs> at all. Uh, that position is completely vacant. Um, the elections that happened after this um, that were supposed to bring in new revolutionary voices. Um, total bunk. Uh, didn't do anything. 13 quote-unquote revolution MPs were elected who had no consistent political ideology. Um, the party that espoused a consistent left-wing political ideology, the MFFD, um, none of them were elected. And so you were kind of at the mercy of these people who had no agreement in policy other than opposing the current power structure. But that spans the length between um, like milquetoast Lebanese liberals who believe that we should oppose Israel through like a BLM type deal uh, <laughs> instead of firing <laughs> rockets at them. And also uh, people who think uh, that Syrians uh, should all be deported and uh, should essentially be genocided. Um, yeah, the Lebanese far right is a fascinating rock to kick over. I, I'll spend 10 seconds on that, mm. uh, because I, it's one of the f terribly fascinating thing in that a lot of Lebanese people, um, are primarily Maronite Christians, uh, don't believe that they're Arab, um, even though they speak Arabic. Um, they believe that they're Phoenician and that uh, their ethnic identity is distinct because they also speak French and English. Um, at, at the risk of making you spend more than ten seconds on it, what's the? I I, I like half remember this. What's the fucking like tiny like splinter sect that that are militants that are like not just like far right, but like the the semiotics of like the Nazis specifically, like the oh Kitab. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Kitab. They were the guys who started the the Lebanese forces who did Sabranch Dila. Mm. Um. They're right now. They style themselves supposedly nominally as a social democratic party that supports the evolution of gay rights, and that specifically tried to take advantage of the protests in 2019 and 2020. They positioned themselves as an opposition party in that in that respect. Are um, they still doing the swastikas and the Hitler and the armbands uh, and so forth? Well, not necessarily. But if you go Progress. down to Mar Mikhail. Um, right next to Rewak Beirut, great bar, um, great trans-friendly bar. Um, there is a mural, a Kitab mural, where um, someone, I assume a Kitab fighter, um, I'm going to demonstrate here, uh, is doing a Nazi salute, which is kind of curved up a little bit, huh. oh, which yeah. is very obviously a Nazi-styled salute. Um, this is because uh, the founder of the party, Pierre Gemayel, um, verbatim, he told us to Robert Fisk, um, went to the Berlin Olympics and said, we should have that here. The Middle East needs discipline. The Middle East needs discipline. And so he explicitly styled Kataeb after the Nazis. And um, right now, uh, the leader of the party is, again, it's been in the Gemayel family. Um, Ever since it hasn't abandoned that ideological uh, uh, history, Modern, modernizing, liberalizing, social democratic Nazis. Uh, it's, yeah. it's like I say, fascinating. Um, and, the, and these are the people that are ostensibly supporting, quote unquote, supporting the protest movement against government. So it's all yeah. it's all cannibalistic. 
there's no real way out of the situation other than another election, which is probably going to be even less revolution at least because I've disappointed everybody so much. Mm. Um, it, it's an weird. entirely, yeah. It's weird to have a party that, you know, heard someone say, you know, National Socialist German Workers Party and take the <laughs> socialist part seriously. Um, <laughs> No, they, um, it, it, it's, it's difficult for me to like, I keep saying it's like, there's no hope. It's stagnant. Like it, it, it's, it's circular, but it's difficult for me to like overstate just like how like fucked Grim. In the moment. Like an IMF bailout has been on the cards since again, I was even further back when I was in college when I was a junior in college. Uh, I did an assignment in which I had to write for my opinion writing course about why Lebanon should refuse uh, the IMF bailout. I have to take that position. Um, it is three years later, and the IMF bailout has still not been authorized. Um, in most other countries, an IMF bailout will be put on the table, and despite all the austerity measures that have been implemented, there was a recognition that they were in desperate straits, and they had no ideological barrier to it, and they would just take it. It would be really easy. And now Lebanon is in the position where they're not opposing an IMF bailout because they're socialists, or they believe that the Lebanese economy can be saved by um, progressive taxation and and you know measures of this kind. They are they are austerity hawks, right? There are food subsidies that they that they want to keep up, but like they are capitalists to their bone. They want this money, but they also know that the strings put on them by the IMF would be too much for them to bear because it would require reforms that would slightly break up the corrupt machine that they've created. And they can't have that. Mm -hmm. So they are attempting a, you can tell me if this sounds uh, sound, um, where they are hoping that the increased tourism numbers from, from this year, from last year as well, will put them in a better negotiating position with the IMF. Because they got money from tourists. Yeah, I mean, Um, I'm remembering that during those those weeks of protests, I talked about that one of the the sparks for them was uh, trying to tax WhatsApp messages. So I'm not like overawed by like their their like policy making impulses. No, all they want is to try and make more money from the absolute poorest. And um, make sure that the rich are free to make as much money as they want, but not in a traditional kind of um, the way we might imagine Republicans do, where they try to couch it in some other way. The Lebanese government just straight up says, hey, we know that you're using WhatsApp to get around the highest telecom rates in the world, basically. We're just going to tax that, and we're going to hope that you're all right with that, and that nothing bad will ever come of this, even though you're not seeing any improvement in any infrastructure, uh, medical care. Uh, anything, um, yeah. and I would say the uh, the tourism outlook for that region, at least in the immediate future, seems pretty poor. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 The, the day before we recorded this, the U.S. was like, you know, the, the travel advisory came out. Uh, yeah, they're putting it on par with Sudan, uh, Syria, Ukraine. Um, yeah, not looking good. I fucking left. I left in such a in such a rush um, recently. I left dishes in the sink. I left laundry uh, like on the on the drying rack. Um, so I stupidly assumed, hey, uh, it's probably blow over in like yeah. a couple of days. And yeah, uh, I don't think it's going through. So, no. uh, so this sort of like uh, government barely worthy of the name was forced to to do an investigation 
Um, <laughs> this uh. is this yeah. So they, they were they were pressured to to appoint this judge, this investigative judge, Fadi Sawan, um, who by reputation, as I understand it, was like you know uh, not not sectarian, not corrupt, uh, good at his job, all of this. Um, and as a result of that, uh, a year later, they just kicked him back off of it. Um, and as of now, they are still investigating. And that, I, I think that investigation will go until the heat death of the universe. Well, um, the thing, the thing is, is that there was after that judge, I believe there was another judge, which got a little bit further, who was Tarek Bitar. Um, and Tarek Bitar did the right thing hmm. in that he collected evidence, and then he directed arrest warrants and asked for interrogations of people who were directly involved in the ministries that were responsible for the ship report. Um, wanted questioning from all these different people. And as soon as this would happen, the people accused would exploit loopholes in the Lebanese judicial system to stop needing to, to accede to these warrants, yeah. uh, to these interrogation requests. And they would be held up for months as the judge would would then be taken off the case and then inevitably reassigned to the case. And this would continue and continue and continue. And it eventually reached a point in which Hezbollah um, supporting protesters went down to the palace of justice in order to protest Tariq Bita's reappointment. Cause apparently it had gotten too political because he had been asking for uh, people from ML, which is a Hezbollah allied party who were in control of the ministries responsible. It's not just like someone uh, out of, fucking thin air they go down they protest it and then snipers from the rooftops jesus christ um, suspected to be from the lebanese forces uh start firing and there was a gunfight in the tayuna neighborhood which was not terribly far from from the neighborhood in which i live um yeah no 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 it it immediately became completely radioactive to the dutch because even if like, I don't personally believe that Hezbollah, the emotion of you know, belong to Hezbollah, but Hezbollah absolutely does not want this investigated because mm. it absolutely implicates all of their allies in government. And once their allies in government are implicated, that jeopardizes their political king-making ability. Um, it opens them up to questions about their complicity in the corruption in the government. It opens it also would require investigation into all of their um intelligence capabilities um back in 08 there was almost a civil war based on the fact the lebanese government didn't like that hezbollah had a separate telecommunication system that they just weren't telling people about and they tried to shut it down and then there were gun battles in the middle of beirut um everybody hosting or death you know? yeah <laughs> Nobody wants it like every party to some extent, even if they're not technically guilty, it exposes all of them to a certain extent. Mm. It, that's, it, that's, it's, yeah, that's so true of like any of the investigations abroad as well. Um, like the reason why I mention like uh, Syria and why I mention like Mozambique and all of this is that like the like journalists have been through and they've tried to trace all of these like shell companies to find out exactly who owned this ship who owned the cargo and where it was going. And the place that it's led is this company, Savaro, um, and uh, a, a Ukrainian oligarch called Volodymyr Verbanol. Uh, so the, the, the uh, ammonium nitrate probably came from Ukraine. Um, and this company was like operated by another shell company called Interstatus. Um, 
And the director of that has said, you know, oh yeah, I, I, I know who owns it and I just won't say. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> and I, I will say, for, for legal reasons, I'm going to phrase this very carefully. I'm just reading from the Wikipedia here. There's this uh, Syrian-Russian businessman um, oh, who, that's fun! <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy, George Haswani. Um, so, so he's uh, like he's in with Assad big time, also Putin. Uh, thus, my sort of implications about Syria. Um, and they asked him about this, uh, and they asked him like, "How come your company runs through the same shell company that uh, owned you know this ammonium nitrate?" Uh, and he said, and this is a, a quote. I am living my life normally and laughing because I am someone who knows well that I have what? nothing to do with this matter at all. Which is, uh, I think, the funniest possible sm- thing you can tell the haters. You're right. Oh my god. Live, laugh, love. Thanks for making. Yeah. Thank the haters this for making me famous. This is what I say when I'm asked if I'm thinking about my ex-girlfriend. I'm living <laughs> yeah. normally. I have nothing living, to do I'm with this matter I'm living my life normally and laughing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New Twitter bio as well. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe he does. You know, maybe he is living his life normally and laughing. Um, oh but yeah, yeah. So there is one one small small glimmer of hope here. Um, oh my god! Okay. Yeah, I know. This is like relatively new uh, news. This is from this year. Um, in June of this year, um, so some of the survivors uh, sued this holding company, Savara, because it's registered in the UK. Because we love to be a sort of like uh, hub for world shady middleman <coughs> dealing. Um, and although they didn't make them disclose who the owners were, they did force this company to pay like about a million dollars in damages to directly to victims, which is. Not much, but it's something, and it opens them up for more liability in other jurisdictions. They hope. Um, so, I, you know, it, 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 one of the one of the claimants says that um, there's a quote from him in this Royce story about it, where he says that uh, it's it's telling that like everything that's moving forward is outside of Lebanon. Uh, you know, that's the only place where there's there's progress. Um, but no, yeah, I would say I would say in addition to that. Like when we talk about targeting Iranian officials uh, mm. for investigation of certain mm. things, and we talk about like, oh, we'll suit, we'll we'll do things in Europe, we'll sanction them from the United States, they won't get anywhere near American assets. That doesn't affect like Joe Schmo on the Guardian Council, who was not taking vacations uh, in Paris and in Berlin uh, mm-hmm. typically. Uh, but Lebanese officials, that absolutely affects them. Um, people in Kataib. People in uh, other parties, other than, I guess, Hezbollah, they love being in Europe. They love being in Switzerland. They love going to American colleges and French universities and living it up on the European dime. Being shut out of those systems is absolutely something that they fear to some extent. Um, I mean, Saad Hariri isn't even in Lebanon anymore. He doesn't want to stick around. He lives in Dubai now. He he flies around all these different places. They don't like being in that country um that is that is i think yeah that is the only like small small reprieve in that yeah, they a... really yeah they, they, it, it they're closely interconnected with mm. the european system that there is a lever there if anyone in europe has any interest in pulling it or being forced to pull it yeah but they, they keep threatening to pull it i mean the french the, the french have been macron has been trying to like mediate the imf bailout and government formation for years and years and years. And he's always saying, like, hey, I'm going to sanction you. I'm going to sanction you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. 
and then he never does it. So yeah, it's always present, and he can pull it, and it would actually have effect, but he, he chooses not to. Just doesn't want to do it. For for reasons that are beyond me, but hey, I'm not the fucking um, Elise Palace or whatever. Yeah. Well, what have we learned from all of this? Other um, than surround every port with grain elevators. Which are yeah. really indestructible. They did a bunch of like investigations after this happened. A bunch of like port authorities got scared uh, all across the Middle East uh, and beyond to be like, wait, how much of this shit do we just have lying around? Um, and there are a bunch more like close calls like this. They very, very nearly uh, sort of like missed uh like in in, in iraq uh that they found like tons and tons of this in umcast just like fucking like sitting out that they had to like remove um you know so. this, is, this is the great thing about containerization is you can have the same amount of ammonium nitrate hanging around but you don't know about it because yeah, it's exactly. in a container totally um, opaque, yeah. out of sight yeah. out of mind right until your mm -hmm, port goes up mm -hmm. in flames yeah so um yeah this is this is a uh, well what did we learn? I, I, I mean, uh, don't. I guess like um, store your shit good. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I oil your bureaucracy a little bit. Mm. You have like one guy that works every ministry who does listen to something. Yeah. That's just like his assigned role, and everybody else can kind of fuck off. But like have yeah. that one guy. It's it's a really weird system to to end a civil war by going. Okay, well we'll just do strict religious quotas uh yeah don't do that 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 is not doubt for like anybody um i yeah. agree it was it's better than the system that existed before the civil war where christians had their supremacy was enshrined into law uh where they had more seats in parliament than the muslims mm. but we could also just get rid of all the quotas um that might have solved some certain things yeah. but who knows I, i'm just i'm just i'm just a simple boy from uh, Matt's of Wisconsin. I don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> I'd say uh, that's uh, all part of this thing. podcast, Shavis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in good company. Yeah, yeah. Big thing we learned is uh, if there's something on fire within view of your apartment that may explode, stay indoors. Don't don't look at it. Yeah. If you have to film it, put a stationary camera out. You should not look at the explosion. You will have shards of glass in your eyes. That's why in the movies, the cool guys are always facing away from the explosion when it happens. We don't have a generation that has that like duck and cover experience, you know, to, that knows yeah. not to like be looking out at windows at explosions. Um, yeah, a little PSA yeah. there to end on. Yeah, just walk away from the explosion in slow motion. It's much safer. <laughs> um, <laughs> People right. don't know what, how to do that anymore because of. Um, streaming technology streaming movies yeah. and, and now it's all about um and wokeness yeah yeah all about disney plus they don't do that shit anymore it's fucked up <laughs> well we have a segment on this podcast called safety third oh we didn't even do this last time because yeah because we we oh no it's just too long now we we've just adjusted long, our yeah. time far yeah. far more responsibly and now Go to we like an hour and a half. That's a movie, you know, yeah. and a short movie these days. Yeah, exactly. Hello, Raz, Alice, Liam, and guest, if applicable. Yeah, you did it. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. The following is my submission for our beloved closing segment. It involves many of our favorite elements, namely gross incompetency, British Empire fetishists, museums, Ugh. and target targeting bank buildings with artillery and a government agency trusting university students to handle both homemade explosives and extremely antique firearms. On top of this, this worksite was mentioned in the Halifax explosion episode. Good call back there. Um, and I believe a joke about this very thing happening was made. 
Good work on the foreshadowing. Did you accidentally shell Halifax? Oh, they, we'll get they, shouldn't keep, they shouldn't keep the can that's pointed at Scotiabank if they don't want us to shell it. Oh, it's actually pointed. <laughs> I found out today it's actually pointed at TD Bank. Ah. Um, the, danger, the danger brothel in question <laughs> what? is the Halifax Citadel National Historic Site ah. in, in Halifax, <laughs> Nova Scotia. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, we were there together, man. Yeah. <laughs> I worked at the Citadel for a number of years and can with confidence say that no job I've since I've, I've had since has been as nonchalant about safety violations. Cool. I, I will spare us all the lengthy explanation of what exactly this place is, both because we have access to the Internet and because it could honestly be an entire episode on its own. In short, it's a large Victorian era fort staffed by military reenactors. Oh, wow. Right. OK. Yeah, yeah. The site has been met. Yeah. The site has been managed and staffed by the same organization since the early 1990s and has been the employer of some of the most bat fuck unhinged individuals I've ever met or heard of. Over the course of my tenure there, I had frequent encounters with both co-workers and management that left me seriously unsure as to whether or not we inhabited the same reality. <laughs> an, an uncomfortable amount of these conversations left me questioning if they really thought they were actually a member of Queen Victoria's armed forces. Oh no. Oh, no. You want to have a clear separation between on and off stage with your living yeah, history. Exactly. I'm convinced that the water on site was cursed with the gin. Because <laughs> boy, boy, did that place run on spite and sadism. Hey, it really is Victorian. I mean, maybe a different kind of gin, you know? Yeah. It was not uncommon to witness or hear of a colleague being pushed to complete physically demanding tasks while exhibiting very clear signs of extreme heat exhaustion or heat stroke exclusively for the pleasure of whichever corporal or sergeant, both of those in quotes, have to be in charge that day. Uh, I put corporal and sergeant in quotations because while they were all very much likely to like you to believe that they were actual NCOs and would sign off on emails as corporal so-and-so, they were tour guys with an extra stripe on their uniforms. I mean, if they're like hazing you, I feel like you're entitled to like veterans benefits at this point. Yeah. Like at, at this point, just make it an actual part of the military, like the right. USS Constitution, you know? <laughs> I could the make USS an entire- Constitution, isn't that where they, uh, they filmed that one porno, right? Very specific. This was alarmed at how ready you were for that. No, yeah. no, no. I remember this. This was like a, this was like a piece of knowledge I learned years ago, where they filmed two like multi-million-dollar pornos on the USS Constitution. Oh my god! Uh, wow, pirates! Amazing. I think. Yeah, Amazing. They, just li they lied wow. to them and they said that it was a Disney movie, and then they <laughs> they just filmed pornography in all of the <laughs> all of the chambers. Of this. That's incredible! Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, like do, do, do like that or like the 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 one infantry regiment the US Army has that just like dresses old-timey for fun. Like What fi film a porno of them? What? Yeah, film no, a no, porno yeah. of the film a <laughs> yeah. porno of these guys. What what about this is unclear? Yeah. I could make an entire podcast dedicated to the stupid shit that I had to endure during my years there, but the reason I am writing you today is to recount the crown jewel of fuck-ups that happened there. Dear friends, I want to tell you about the time we nearly harpooned the TD Bank building. Yes! <laughs> we called oh, our yeah. shots. <laughs> well, that shot. Yeah. When I, when I was at the Halifax Citadel, I was like, that cannon is pointed right at that building. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> In a tradition dating back to the founding of the city, a cannon is fired from atop the hill every day except Christmas to mark 12 o'clock noon. Hence the name, the Noon Gun. 
I do not know how many times a tourist would ask, uh, excuse me, what time does this noon gun go off? Depending on my mood, sometimes I would only answer with a simple yes. <laughs> You've been too busy getting smoked by like a fake corporal all yeah. morning. <laughs> the procedure for firing the gun is the same as it was in the mid-19th century. The movements are taken straight from a drill manual and is complete with lots of shouting and rigid movements. Every, if you ever witness and wonder, why the fuck are the shouts literally incomprehensible? It's because they've all done this so many times that it's become muscle memory, and the ones shouting like to see just how unintelligible they can make themselves while still having their squad perform without crushing someone's toes or doming someone off with a large wooden-handed spike that they use for maneuvering the gun. Briefly, the process is the following. Roll the gun back from the embrasure. Perform a quick inspection. Use various ramming implements to clear the inside. The first has a large corkscrew on the end and is used for clearing out any pigeons or other garbage that might be hiding inside. Oh my god. <laughs> the, sec the second has a large sponge on the end and is used to swab the inside of the barrel to ensure that there are no embers or hot spots that could cause an accidental detonation. Then you use the aptly named ramrod. Uh, a charge is placed at the mouth of the barrel and then rammed all the way to the base of the gun. Due to the length of the gun in question, the ramrod is approximately eight feet in length with a flared base on the pushing the safety, end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The diameter of the base being only slightly less than the barrel. While it wouldn't make a completely airtight seal if the gun were fired with the ramrod still in the barrel, the one pound black one pound black powder charge would put some significant oomph on it. Now take a guess where this story is going. Oh dear. <laughs> now you roll the gun back into the embrasure and insert, insert the friction tube, which is the thing that makes the spark, and you wait for the one to yell fire, or the one in charge to yell fire. On the day in question, almost all these steps were followed correctly. The misstep being, the man in charge failed to ensure the ramrod was removed from the gun before having his crew move the gun back into the firing position. Had that day's firing gone ahead, the TD Bank building in downtown Halifax would have been the very rapid, rapid recipients of a charred ramrod parpoon. <laughs> Luckily for those thieving bank bastards, an astute <laughs> security guard outside the fort walls noticed a protrusion emanating from the embrasure with only seconds remaining until firing. As many of these security guards are retired members of our armed forces, they immediately recognized what was happening and were promptly shouting into their radio to abort the firing. The message quickly reached the gun crew, who were able to retrieve the ramrod and proceeded with the firing with only a slight delay. Oh, wow. It's like a Van Damme movie moment. Yeah. <laughs> the man in charge for that day's firing was himself very nearly fired, somehow managed to keep his job, likely on account of the place being an old boys club, and he had been there since the 90s. Well, the 1890s? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh! <laughs> in the aftermath, he was no longer near, allowed anywhere near any weapons of any kind and faced a kind of punishment worse than death. A demotion from Her Majesty's Victorian Army. <laughs> this is why oh, they couldn't no. fire him, is they couldn't find the manual for how to cashier someone. <laughs> to this day, the TD Bank building in Halifax continues its decades-long streak of being unperforated and almost uncertainly completely unaware of how close they were to losing that streak. Any thanks from a longtime listener? Your show has brought me many laughs over the years, and I look forward to many more. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. I will also take one. credit for this. That was a good one. <laughs> um, well, that was safety third. Bow, 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 bow. 
hands with danger. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Okay. Our, our next episode will be Chernobyl. Does anyone have any commercials before we go? Yeah. Seamus. Seamus. Oh, Thanks oh, so much yeah. for coming on. Yeah. If thank you for coming Seamus, on. Where can they find them? They can, they can find it at a website that I write at, which is my own. Um, Seamus-Melikafzili.com is a brilliant website in which you can read all of my horribly depressed musings about the state of the Middle East um, in what I hope is an informative, uh, well-reasoned um, way, mm-hmm. I guess would be the, the operative word there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I've been told people enjoy it uh, in Very ways good. that are they should, art- they should follow you on Twitter, too. They should also do that. I always appreciate getting... Um, as I've gotten uh, very recently, very frenzied messages that are both very supportive, but are also um, deeply inquisitive in a way that I am uncomfortable with. <laughs> All right. So, so, so uh, subscribe to the Substack, follow you on yeah. Twitter, and do not don't, violate your don't boundaries. I am a human being, and I live in my house, and I would like the wall to remain there. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a Patreon. Uh, yes. You can subscribe to it. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Yes. I was uh, about to say, very close to the hundred thousand. Very close. Uh, very, yeah. very close. Very close. Probably got about seven days left uh, as of when this podcast comes out. Uh, sure anyway, on. yeah, smash the subscribe and like ring button. That I bell. guess. Yes, yeah, that's right. Ring, ring I'm, doing a, I'm doing a. I'm doing a Mr. Beast face right now. <laughs> 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 I cracked my jaw doing that. That's fun. I will give yeah. my personal recommendation for the um, well, there is a problem YouTube channel. Um, my one of my Thank favorite you. activities is listening to my old episode on repeat and thinking <laughs> about how funny these guys are and also how funny I am. Yeah, uh, we're hysterical yes. is the main thing. It's great. Yes. Great channel. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming. Uh, I think that was a podcast. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Yeah. yeah, what are the odds? Yeah, time time to go back to uh, reading Israel Palestine tweets and panicking. <laughs>